This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Good drive in front, point, score! Score! Braden Point again! And the Lightning win it! They win the series! They win game five! Five four in overtime! Wow. Love that. Every single time. Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito. Dave, does that get old? It's kind of weird, right? You're doing the show with me here, and then you hear yourself <laughs> coming in. I mean, you want to talk about putting yourself on a pedestal, my friend. That's that's what we're doing here, but I love it. I love it. Yeah, when you're in broadcasting, I think that hearing yourself, it like for, I don't know if, if people you know, if your wife, for example, feels this way, but a lot of people who are not in broadcasting, yeah. when they hear their voice, whether it's on a recording or they leave someone a message and then they hear it. They cringe, right? Oh my gosh, I, I hate the sound of my voice. You're in broadcasting. You have to get over that pretty quickly. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really know how to respond to that question. It doesn't bother me. I don't know that I go jumping up and down to hear the call again and again and again. Uh, I was glad to be able to make the call. That's for sure. And glad that Steve recorded it, so we have it for posterity's <laughs> sake. But I, I'm more neutral about yes. hearing myself back. If I'm listening to myself, and and maybe you feel this way, Greg, I'm usually listening listening with a critical ear about, all right, what could I do differently? And not only with play by play. Now that you know, I'm getting more reps, so to speak, on the show with you. Going back and listening, and 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 kind of listening with a critical ear yeah. as opposed to more just a reactionary ear, sure. which is how a lot of people feel when they hear their voice well, after I, actually speaking. I, I was going to say what's interesting because you've made that transition a bit here from calling games to now doing a talk show. And there is a difference because in many ways you are giving your opinion. Uh, at the same time, obviously, we're, we're pro Tampa Bay, so you have to keep that in mind. But I think... It's it's an interesting dynamic, and I think it's probably something that you've you've picked up that you know um, you call the game and then you try and and put those ideas down and and see if uh, there are some topics there that people are interested in, in breaking down. Whether it's playing with Victor Hedman, who, who that defenseman will be, or who is the best player on uh, Tampa Bay yes. right now. I mean, when you're filling We're going to go into our corners on that one. Well, I know, but when you're but when you're filling time and you're doing a talk show, yes. it's it's trying to find that balance of making it interesting and also giving your opinion and and sometimes it's just you know the usual back and forth banter that that makes it all interesting. But it's it's interesting because it's a different world calling the games and then and then doing a talk show, which I think is it's probably a good balance for you. And especially when you're doing hockey play-by-play, -play. and this is something I got into with Andy Freed and Dave Wills because I did a Zoom interview yeah. with them before we restarted, probably about a month and a half ago now. And there's a huge difference between calling hockey play-by-play -play and baseball play-by-play -play in that in baseball, it's a challenge to kind of weave the – the narrative of the play-by-play -play is only part of what you're talking about. So the lull in between pitches, if you're if you're a talented broadcaster like Dave and Andy are, then you make that that pause between pitches really not seem like a pause. It's it's seamless, but you're going from describing action to being more conversational. And I was curious how they how they perfected that because it's not easy to do. And the reason I'm bringing that up is in hockey play-by-play, -play, the, the narrative is there for you pretty much the entire game. Yeah. Right? The puck drops, and it's action, 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 and then there's a whistle, and maybe you have about 10 or 15 seconds where your, your analyst talks, and maybe you talk, and then the puck drops again. And in this format, there's nothing there for you to relay you're you're using your own thoughts and sure. you're forming you're forming sentences out of what you want to say as opposed to relaying what is happening in front of you 
and I do think it's it's a different challenge, but I also think I've I've welcomed the opportunity to work on it, certainly. And and I like talking hockey. I mean, you and I talk hockey off air, certainly. So from that standpoint, it's not a huge sure. transition, except now we're doing it over the air. It's fascinating, and there's a lot of things to talk about each day, even though, you know, especially during that the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to talk about? But, you know, you have interesting guests on, you come up with some different topics. We've got a lot of things to discuss today because uh, in addition to the lightning, Dave, I want to get into the Flyers Canadian series. Brendan Gallagher is out with a broken jaw. Matt Niskanen gets only one game. We're going to talk to Kyle Bukoskis from Sportsnet, who has been doing a lot of the interviews from the bubble. I actually don't think he's in the bubble per se. But he is up there, and we're going to get an idea of what it's like to cover the NHL when it comes to something like that. But we've got a, a couple of questions posted on our Twitter page. Um, just very basic. What do you make of the bubble experience so far from a fan's perspective? And also, uh, who does Tampa get in the second round? That's still to be determined. But who do you think they end up getting? The first question's I think, interesting, Dave, because we can kind of – answer that in some ways because while we are fans we are broadcasters and uh, maybe we're looking at it a bit differently but so far through two weeks what do you make of the bubble experience I guess from a fan's perspective I think from a broadcasting perspective it's different because we're we're not physically there but I mean we're still calling games we're still breaking down games but I'm wondering from a fan's perspective you're watching it on tv are you noticing the difference or are you looking at it and saying, you know what, this is great. We've got four hockey games a day for the most part. And yeah, I know there aren't fans in the stands, but you know, it's, it's like any other game that we've been watching. There are differences. And when you think back to playoff broadcasts that you might've watched or listened to in years past, like if you come out of a TV timeout and the home team, has really got it going you hear the roar of the crowd like as they're getting ready for the face off and that obviously is not happening now at the same time these feel like playoff games from an intensity standpoint and maybe the teams that were not able to replicate that playoff like intensity are no longer playing i don't think the washington capitals ever found their rhythm and that goes back to the round robin games they had two good periods against the islanders the second and third in game four where they staved off elimination where they looked really engaged and maybe some of this is the islanders and how well they played but i think that is a team when they get going in their building with the crowd behind them they feed off that energy and yeah. i'm not saying that this is an excuse for the Capitals. I mean, every team is literally in the same boat and and having to deal with the same circumstances. But maybe it does affect some teams more than others not to have the oomph provided by having actual fans in the stands. But from a viewing standpoint, I, I feel the intensity, whether we're calling a game with the Lightning or just if I'm sitting in – in my you know house watching a game and also you feel momentum swings which certainly we saw that in the lightning blue jacket series the lightning had a yeah. lot of it in game three columbus had a lot of it in game five and so that is not entirely contingent on the crowd and i think that that's made for some really compelling storylines within games which made it a lot of fun to watch so i think it's it's somewhat different but the essence of the game has not been removed because you're still talking about two teams playing as hard as they can and looking to to beat the other, to beat the opponent, to advance in the playoffs. I uh, retweeted Rick Bonus and some comments he made after the game yesterday, and you know it was pretty interesting and. It hits home here in Tampa because Bonus was part of the Lightning organization as a coach, and they used the big rally, Dave, to eliminate the Flames uh, in Game 6. And um, how many goals did they score? 
pretty incredible. I have to seven, seven yeah. three. They beat Calgary, and I know Milan Lucic. There was some controversy there, but uh, I retweeted what he had to say, and it was interesting because I think sometimes people get frustrated when an athlete speaks their minds or a coach does, and a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't agree with him, so he's an idiot." And you know, we want these guys to be a little bit more open, but when they sometimes say things that we don't agree with. They face a lot of backlash, which might be one of the reasons why you don't see as many colorful interviews in today's sports than maybe you did earlier um, or, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But he said, quote, people don't understand how hard it is, this bubble. It's great that we're playing and the league is back, but it's tough. I think that game, it was a mess from both sides. It's tough to explain. But I don't think people understand how tough it is living in this bubble. The league give them a lot of credit. They've done the best job they can. Everyone is handling as best we can, but it's tough. And he goes on to say, only speaking for himself, he says, I've gone a couple of days where I haven't even gone outside. And I think a lot of people at first glance will look at that and say, well, what are you complaining about? I mean, you're playing hockey. You know, there are some sports leagues right now, college football, they're canceling left and right. You have an opportunity to play games, and yeah, you're away from your family for a couple of months, but you know, you're know you doing the thing you love, and you're finding a way to finish the season. But uh, Rick Bonus is being honest, and if that's how he feels, I can't really fault the guy. Now, I may look at it and say, these guys get paid a lot of money, and there is a little bit of a sacrifice or a big sacrifice in terms of what they've been giving up, but, you know, look... Um, that's the price you pay in some ways of being a professional athlete. For the most part, everything is smooth sailing. Um, this might be one of those situations where everybody has to sacrifice a bit more. But I, I, I actually appreciated Rick Bonus's comments, but I saw a lot of people come down on him, Dave, about, you know, what are you complaining about? But, you know, look, if that's how he feels. I bet there's some other people that haven't said anything that, that might be feeling the same way. There probably are. And... I also noted that Bonus was quick and and emphatic to point out that the league has done a great job. So he's yeah. not he's not calling out the league for the no. situation. He's he's more talking about the circumstance that he is in and that his team is in and that the the clubs that are still alive are in. So I was I was interested to read it. Certainly, I was not expecting to see that because we're not experiencing the bubble, so we don't know. Right. <laughs> we have heard that that the league has tried to give the the players and the staff and the coaches and management in the bubble as many amen amenities as they can. And certainly in Toronto, they have access to that soccer field where the MLS team plays. They can go outside, certainly, at least the hotel where the Lightning are at, Hotel X, which right. is not right downtown. The Edmonton hotels are, which may have some kind of an impact on on where somebody can go. I know there's a courtyard by the rink in Edmonton, but I don't know if they have the same kind of access to fields, for example, and grass that maybe the Lightning and the other teams at the Hotel X have in Toronto. But I also think that while Rick Bonus certainly feels this way, not everybody feels this way. So I think there are probably some people in the bubble who are struggling or at least enduring. And there may be some other people who are not as affected by it because yeah. we're all different, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody... Everybody reacts to a, to a particular situation or circumstance not identically because we're all individuals. So what does this mean moving forward? We knew that it was going to be a mental challenge for teams to have success in this playoff year in the bubble. I think we said that even before the teams headed up there, Greg, that this yes. was going to be a challenge. And Rick Bonus is just confirming that, that it is a challenge. Now, when he says the game was a mess or, or whatever the whatever the quote was, it was a mess, right? Yeah. The Dallas Stars have had success this year, not because they're the high-flying stars like they were a few years ago with Sagan and Ben 
and Klingberg. I mean, they still have those guys, and they're very talented offensively, Radulov. But with Rick Bonus as the head coach, when he took over for Jim Montgomery, they really put an emphasis on playing good team defense. And they did that last year, too, under Jim Montgomery. And there have been games where they've deed up quite well. I think they won game five, two to one. But there have been other games, at least in the series against the Flames, where both teams were not particularly sharp defensively. The Stars won game two, what, 5-4? Yep. They won game four. Was it 5-4 or 6-5? That was a high-scoring game. And certainly yesterday, the teams combined for 10 goals. So when you are a team that predicates your success on playing good defense, but you have games where you're giving up three, four, five goals a game, and maybe you're scoring even more, that would lead one to assume that you are not you are not really on top of your game consistently. And that may be a function of all the other stuff, right? Sure. <laughs> Making sure that you're completely dialed in, it's hard to do. But then we see other teams, like the Islanders, to me, look dialed in. They look like a team that is absolutely rolling right now. The Flyers, I know they're in a, I know they're in a, a tight series and they're up 3-2 and they have not yet advanced and they hope to advance. They may not advance. But in the games where they've gotten a lead, they have, they have completely locked it down. And they have looked very dialed in. And in a different kind of style, which we can get into how these teams are having success in different ways, Colorado is just overwhelming teams. Colorado does not look like a team that is having any game that would be called a mess. So there may be something to how teams are handling the situation when they're not on the ice and it, it relates to how they are actually performing when they are on the ice. I, mean, I think we're going to have to get more of a sample size as these series progress, and certainly the teams that advance yeah. will have had some success. So you figure that they are playing well, but it was it was interesting that he tied the difficulty of life in the bubble with the actual game that just occurred. He made sure. that connection. And so if that's the case, what I would say is, I'm not seeing that sort of hockey from all the teams in the bubble. The teams that have struggled are gone. They've been eliminated, yeah. or they're on their way to being eliminated. The teams that have played at a very high level are still alive and and have advanced. And then there are some teams that maybe played at a high level and then had some games that were, were not quite at that level, and they're still alive. But I think if they hope to go farther, like the Stars, who have the avalanche in the next round – they're going to have to find that consistently high level and not be a roller coaster all over the map like they were in the Calgary series. Dave, I want to talk to you about this in the third segment because we have Kyle Bukaskis on, so don't let me forget. It's one of my fun questions that I like to throw your way and our audience's way. But for all the reasons that you just mentioned regarding the Islanders, are they the one team, and who knows when they would face Tampa Bay, and it I don't, it's not going to be the next round, but let's just assume, again, in a, in a hypothetical world, are the Islanders the one team that makes you a little more uncomfortable to play against than the remaining teams in at least the Eastern Conference because of how they play? I want to touch on that with Dave in our third segment. And uh, we'll get into some other topics as well. Oh, yeah, Brendan Gallagher. What do you make of Matt Niskanen's egregious play and should he have been suspended more than one game we'll touch on those with kyle in our next segment from sportsnet but i want to hit on those topics with dave especially too in the third segment so glad you're with us hit us up on twitter at bolts radio at greg Linelli, at dave michigan kyle bukoskis from sportsnet is up next on lighting power play the perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour this is power lunch only on lightning power play on the iheart radio app so glad you're with us, Greg Linelli, Dave Mishkin, getting you set for the weekend as Tampa Bay advances. We've been talking about them and their series win against Columbus the last day or so. And if you still have some thoughts about that, you certainly can chime in at Greg Linelli or at Dave Mishkin at Bolts Radio as well, which is our show Twitter page. But joining us right now, a good friend of the program, does great work for Sportsnet, covers hockey very well. 
the great Kyle Bukaskis has great hair too, Dave. That's one thing I don't have to worry about now. I used to have <laughs> great hair. I show my daughter pictures of my hair back in the day, but they don't believe Dad had had uh, hair, but Kyle does, and uh, we're very fortunate that he's able to join us here. And Kyle, great to be that's with you. <laughs> that's that's why right. we're on radio. That's why we're on radio. Well, right? see, Kyle's both. Kyle does radio. He does TV. So he uh, he's got it going there. Um, how has the hockey been? Before we get into some specifics, how has the hockey been for you? Experiencing interviewing these guys during the bubble, the coaches, what the quality of play has been like. What do you, what do you make of what's going on with the NHL over the last week or so? You know, I, I've been really impressed. Really, I, like I think any of us really knew what to expect. Of course, just because of how unprecedented all of this is, from the circumstances around playing to the break that they're coming off and jumping right in, essentially to playoff hockey uh the intensity is has been there uh by and large for me uh the pace the the physicality i mean all of it that that you come to love as as a hockey fan uh has been there from from the jump i mean as i said credit to to the the players and and how much um they're dialed into this thing because you know for for me um for anybody that it, you know you guys i'm sure you can speak to it as well right? you're, you're used to you know going into a building where there's 18 20,000 fans and you know maybe it's it's at the end of a, a long run in the schedule and you're, you're just the energy level isn't quite where you would like it to be before a game and then the crowd gets going and and that kind of wakes you up and, and it gets you gets you into things and, and the adrenaline kind of carries you through. Well, of course there's, there's none of that here. Um, going into a building and, you know, here in Toronto, Scotiabank arena and just the, the silence, the emptiness of it all. And then some music starts playing and two teams appear from the tunnels and then a game happens. Um, it's, it's completely different. And so, you know, as when you're broadcasting the game, you kind of, but you got to ramp yourself up because there isn't the, the atmosphere in the building to kind of help you, you get there. Um, and the players have done a terrific job, I think. And um, despite all the challenges in, in playing under these circumstances, um, they've delivered some, some really quality hockey so far. It's been a lot of hockey to watch here so far this month, but uh, a treat to be able to, to have games to, to cover again. And as I say, the, uh, the entertainment factor has been there uh, in spades uh, for, for my, my standpoint. Kyle, you were telling us off air that you are in Toronto, but you are not in the bubble. So you have access to go to the games and you're working the games, obviously, but you are not undergoing the same rigorous protocols that everyone in the bubble is undergoing. What sorts of protocols do you have, though, as far as getting into the building and where are you going? Where are you watching the games? Are you interacting with other media people who are in the same boat as you? Yeah, a little bit of that. So we've got, you know, a designated uh, entrance in, in the arena that, that we go into. Obviously, you know, masks come on when, when you go indoors, which, uh, you know, in the province of Ontario, it's, it's mandatory in, in all indoor public spaces to, to wear masks here now uh, for the foreseeable future. And so you go in, um, you know, there's a, an EMS member there that'll go through, you know, the, the health check, the questionnaire, the symptom check, asking you, have you felt any of this, 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 or this over the past while? Have you come in contact with anyone that has tested positive? All of that. Um, you get your temperature checked. Uh, you know, the metal detectors you normally would going into a, an NHL building. Um, and then you check in with the, the people at the media desk there. And, you know, depending on, on what I'm doing that day, um, you know, for the regular media, because the seating for media is kind of spread out quite vastly over the 300 level in Scotiabank Arena. Like they put, you know, it's assembled kind of makeshift tables within the sections on the 300 level fans normally would be. And so you've got five, six rows to yourself if you're, um, you know, a writer attending the, the game to, to cover um, uh, uh, whatever team that uh, that you're assigned to. And so... Uh, you know, if you're going to do that, then you check in and, and they cross off, you know, the fact that uh, you are, are representing that outlet and that's where you're going to be seated and then you, you go. And, and for myself, when I've been doing more of the uh, the world feed type stuff and, and the interviews that um, have been made available to any of the rights holders that have been, been airing the games, um, there's a spot kind of near center ice where, you know, the Sportsnet commentators are, are set up and then I have a little area uh, about eight, ten feet to the left of, of them where I can watch the game from. 
and uh, be able to, to be part of like our Sportsnet broadcast uh, nationally in Canada. And then on the other side of the concourse, which is about, I don't know, 50 feet away to walk over to, uh, is this little makeshift room where they set up um, headsets, monitors there. And that's how we do the interviews with, with players, right? We're not allowed to be down on the event level and interact with them like we normally would. So when they come off the ice after a period and go to do an interview with me, they're brought into this little room, stand in front of a Stanley Cup playoff backdrop. Uh, they can't see me. I can see them. Uh, there's just a camera right in front of them and a microphone, and they're told just to listen for the questions and then answer to the camera. So I get cued in. I push the button and talk and ask my question. They answer, and uh, and that's kind of it. So it's it's been a complete um, adjustment from from that standpoint, right? As everybody's been been forced to do. Um, but as I say, happy to have uh, games to cover again. And um, you know, if if I was told by Sportsnet that hey, we want you to go in the bubble, I, I would happily do it. Um, but you know, not being in it is I'm I'm okay with too, just because I mean you've got the freedom when when you're not working to to go out and walk around the city and stuff. And I tell you, it's bizarre, guys. Like you know, a city like Toronto, the weather in August has been absolutely gorgeous here so far. Um, but by and large, like you know, think of a, a city the size of of To, and and it's it's largely yeah. empty uh, during the day. And usually it's 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 bumping with shops and restaurants and patios and all that and, and just the, the world that we, we live in. It's just much quieter down here and, and all for the better, of course, that, that it is that way. But um, a bit of a, a jarring sight to, to see initially after you know what we've all become so accustomed to over the course of our lives. And we're starting to see some cracks in the armor, so to speak. Tuka Rask, obviously dealing with some personal issues, our thoughts and prayers with him. But he had mentioned the day before he had left Kyle that, you know, this really doesn't feel like playoff hockey. Fans aren't here. Rick Bonus, former Lightning assistant coach, after Dallas won, talked about, I'm paraphrasing, basically, it's really tough to, to get used to being in this bubble because I can't go outside. I get out of my hotel and I literally walk to the rink. And he said, it's hard mentally. And I, I think you understand that you appreciate it, but you know, really what were the other options to, to get this thing going? I mean, I, I think everybody was going to have to make sacrifices. Obviously the player's health is something you have to keep in mind. The NHL has done a pretty good job of that, but when you see maybe every once in a while, something like that pop up where a coach or a player says, you know, look, there's some issues here. Do you look at it, Kyle and say, look, I get it. But if you wanted to finish the season and have a Stanley cup winner, this is what you were going to have to do. Well, yeah, no, no question. Like if, if they were to, as you say, get this done, like this was the only way to do it, right? Like you couldn't just, you know, go back to, to as is, but um, I certainly, yeah, I, for me, that doesn't, doesn't mitigate just the, the challenge of, of being in this, this type setup. And I, it just goes back to my, the first point I made about, you know, how impressed I've been with um, the type of, of hockey that, that we've been able to, to watch here so far, because uh, no question, it is a challenge. You know, whether it was uh, Tuukka Rask deciding to, you know, he needed to go spend uh, some time with with his family, and some of the other comments, uh, you know, like Tory Crew, Brad Marchand saying, you know, you can't you can't escape a, a bad day at the the rink here. There isn't the other distractions that you normally have in your life to get your mind away from hockey when maybe things aren't going great. And and yeah, Rick Bonus last night saying, you know, you know, people don't understand really how much of a, a challenge it, it is, and. Um, you know, I've got all the respect in, in the world for um, the teams that are, are still sticking around and, and, you know, are realizing that, you know, at the end of this, somebody's going to be awarded a Stanley Cup and, and they want it to, to be them. But there's a sacrifice that comes along with it. You know, this may not be the most physically demanding playoffs um, to go through because of the layoff that was in before it all started, but perhaps most mentally demanding playoffs uh, in history when you think of the, the circumstances that, that surround it, right? Like, I don't know, maybe maybe you guys disagree with me, but I find, um, you know, whenever you talk to, whenever I talk to, you know, a friend or family member that, you know, just went away on a, a longer vacation, like 10 days, two weeks or, or something like that, and they come back and you ask, you know, well, how was it? And it doesn't matter, you know, how smooth the trip went, uh, how beautiful the sights were, how luxurious the hotel was that they were at, the, the food, all of that. You know, usually when they finish telling the story, it ends with, it was a great trip but I was ready to come home, right? And so for, for these players here, this we're not even talking the vacation here. This is a business trip, uh, as, as many have, have alluded to. And, you know, certainly they're, they're staying in nice hotels. The leagues have done everything they can to, to set up as many amenities as, as possible, make it as comfortable as it, as it uh, humanly can be for them. But 
again, you're you're away from family. It's it's not home for you, and and for them, you know, there's you, you can't escape, um, you know, the the uh, the fenced off areas that that you're in. I mean, fortunate for the teams here in, in the East, they've got you know BMO Field, the the soccer stadium that's home to the Toronto FC MLS club. But at least they've got a big outdoor space to kick the soccer ball around or play some spike ball or throw the frisbee around or, or anything like that. Um, but otherwise, I mean, going back to the same hotel room time and time and time again. Um, with, you know, they've been at it for almost a month. Um, for the teams that ultimately go all the way to the final, you know, you're looking at another six weeks here yet to be in this type of, of setup. So it's it's going to be incredibly demanding um, on the mental side of things to, to be able to, to park all the challenges that, that come along and, and uh, the people and, and the other things in your life that you miss along the way. So um, no question, this was the only way they were going to be able to get this thing in, but it certainly doesn't make it any easier for, for those that uh, are, are, are living with it. And that goes beyond the players. It's the staff, everybody that, that's that's in this thing. Kyle, let's get into some of the on-ice play and, and the results to this point are very interesting. The Lightning voiced concern about the format back before they actually started play that as a round robin team they would be facing an opponent that had already been through and survived a play-in series whereas they would have just had these qualifying games for seeding the round robin games and I don't know if other teams in the round robin shared that concern but it was enough for the lightning that they voted no on the format well here we are six series are done and five round robin teams have advanced the Islanders are the only play-in survivor to advance and it could be as many as seven if the Flyers win their series and the Blues rally to win theirs do you think the concerns about not having playoff games right off the bat that might have been overblown for some of these round robin teams or is there something else going on here that the play-in teams at least to this point have not had more success in this first round yeah it's it's interesting because I thought that was a, a legitimate concern um i mean certainly you know i think we've it's it's been a storyline in in past years where um i mean look at the the lightning last year right like they had the president's trophy first place in the conference everything lined up what seemed like for the last month even longer maybe of, of the regular season and then come into a against the blue jacket team that was fighting for every inch just to to get in down the stretch and and then the series played out the the way it did um, so, you know, no question there was, I think, legitimate reason to, to be concerned about that. But, um, you know, I think what we've realized here as, as the round robin played out, I mean, I look at a team like Boston that, that struggled, that went 0-3 through it, and there were some people going, well, you know, are, are they able to, to recapture the, the level that they were playing at in the regular season when they were, you know, the best team in, in the league um, before everything came to a halt in, in early March? And they just kept saying, you know, we're, we're not really worried about you know, taking first overall um, in, in seeding here right now or just worrying about, you know, our habits and, and building our game up the, the right way. And sure enough, when things started for real, you know, they were a team that, that was ready to go. As if, you know, I've been, as I said, impressed with the play and also just how, how quickly teams have been able to, to lock things down uh, defensively because usually over the course of a regular season, that's on the kind of starts to, to take a bit of time for, for teams to, to dial in and you know the games in early October you see the the six five games with the, the skill more so taking over um, early on in the season but given the circumstances here now where you're into the playoffs right away um, teams have been able to, to, to lock it down and so um, for those that uh, you know went through the round robin and you know it really wasn't playoff type games uh, for them right off the hop um, they still managed to to get their their houses in order, if if you will. And then when the real games uh, came around, uh, by and large, you know, outside of Washington, and then we'll see what happens with uh, St. Louis and and Philadelphia here. Um, you know, those those teams have been have been ready to go from from the jump when they've actually started to to matter. And uh, for the Lightning, you know, they were a team that you know it was got uh, a chance to exercise their their demons early, and and they made made sure that they did. Kyle Bukaskis from Sportsnet joins us here on Power Lunch. Kyle, what do you make of this Lightning team in general? We talk about the depth. They addressed it at the trade deadline in the offseason. We saw Blake Coleman, Zach Bogosian, Barkley Goodrow, Kevin Shattenkirk all make contributions against Columbus in addition to what we saw with Kucherov and Point. And they're doing this without the services of Steven Stamkos 
I'm not going to say they're the clear-cut favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, we saw what happened last year. You can't take that for granted. But is this as talented a team that's left in the playoffs that has an opportunity to win the whole thing? And what do you make of their chances moving forward here? Uh, certainly, they're good. I mean, I, I put them right up with with the Bruins, and then on the other side, I, I I've got I, I think Colorado's a team that that's really coming out from the the West, and you know maybe a team like Vegas gives them a, a real run here. But um, you know, I I think that this is a team that you know really we saw we saw some some maturity over the course of these these five games. I mean, you know, you you two know the the Lightning far better than than I do, but just in in watching um, over the course of that series against Columbus with with how patient they were and. Um, you know, we didn't see uh, other side. You know, outside of you know the third period of Game Five, where it was kind of bang bang, where they pushed in force overtime. You know, we didn't see the the run and gun, high flying, high skilled uh, Tampa team that we've kind of come to know um, over the course of the last few years. And and I don't think that was a bad thing. I just think it was a group that that learned that you know, I guess a team like Columbus that you know you needed to be a little more patient. And you needed to be a little more opportunistic when when the moments did come, and, and not try to force anything. And um, they were they were able to do that. It didn't feel like a, a four games to, to one series um, that the you know the lopsidedness of, of that would would suggest. It's a lot tighter, but uh, just those those critical moments of of the games over the course of, of those those five. Um, you know, Tampa was was the better team in that, and obviously their their skill rose to the top. Um, when when it needed to, um, but I thought that it was just a, a, a great opportunity for them to, to prove that they have come a long way from from what happened just over a year ago. And, and you know, I remember even in the intermission of that fifth game, Tyler Johnson saying in his interview that you know this is they're a team that you know they've realized that they don't need to win six five that they're comfortable winning two one three two type contests and. And that was that was essentially the series right there. Every game was was tight like that. And um, the fact that, that they won four or five, I think, really speaks to how far this this group has has come. And um, the, with the pieces that they've added, I mean, that that line there with uh, with Ford and Coleman and Goodrow, and and how much trust that uh, John Cooper has in in them. Um, you know, it's 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 a team now that that should have every reason to to believe that that they can hang with every, anybody and play any style that. Um, the opposition wants to on on a given night and and, you know this isn't just a a one-trick pony anymore so we'll we'll see if they can build on it from here last one for me Kyle and probably the most surprising team and the surprise story of this return to play has been the Montreal Canadiens because they were not expected to make the playoffs they kind of got we were joking like Willy Wonka's golden ticket when they announced the yeah. format and, you know, they get a chance to, to go in there. They got healthy and they upset Pittsburgh and they've given the Flyers a terrifically tight series. We don't know what's going to happen in game six and if they can extend game six in a game seven. But even if they don't win this series, you know, I heard – some of the NBC commentators talking about how valuable this experience has been and will be for Montreal's young players, the Kakaniemis, the Nick Suzuki's, that they're getting this kind of playoff experience because they had a chance to to come in and they've had some success. Do you agree with that, that even if they don't win this series, that this will have been a net positive for Montreal based on how much experience it's given their younger players? I do, and and just and and on top of that, just uh, you know, a, a welcome jolt in, into the market too after a season that was you know really widely regarded as as a pretty significant step back after you know having ninety six points the season before and just narrowly missing out on on the postseason. Um, you know, let's not forget here. Uh, you know, you think about a guy like Esperi Kakaniemi who had you know, by all accounts, a fairly uh, positive rookie season. I mean, faded a little bit at, at the end, but you know, really a, a guy that the fan base fell in love with right away. And then he comes back for for year two, and and he's hurt, and then he gets healthy again, and he's hurt again, and he never was really able to find a rhythm to the point where they sent him down to the American League, and then he gets hurt down there, and and we think at that time that his season is going to be over, and and then the pause hits, and then the expanded format comes in, 
And then for a guy like him, I mean, it's unbelievable, guys. Like, he just turned 20 in July. And, and you know a market like Montreal where, um, you know, it doesn't take much to, to spark any type of controversy or debate. But just the way his series w- was going, I mean, there was some water cooler talk that, well, you know, is this, is this guy a first-round bust already? I mean, he was still a teenager at the time. Um, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable how quickly things can change. And you saw the way he, he came back after getting healthy again through camp. And, and the way he's played uh, throughout uh, these playoffs against Pittsburgh and now Philadelphia, uh, he just looks more confident. He's, he's, um, he's more willing to lean on guys to be the first guy in, in the corner, um, his ability to make plays, and just looks more sure of himself. Um, it's, it, you, I don't think you can put a, a price tag on, on how valuable that is. And a guy like Nick Suzuki, who um, really transitioned from you know, the Ontario Hockey League last year um, to the NHL this season, uh, has just seemed to to elevate his his game, and um, you know, for a guy like Carey Price, whose numbers the last couple of seasons hasn't really backed up the the resume that that he had built for himself over the course of of his career. I mean, he he looks like a guy who is just a great reminder for everybody that his best years aren't behind him just yet. Um, so all of that involved, I mean, I, I can understand there's certain parts of the fan base leading into these playoffs that kind of thought like, well, why are we bothering going back into this 2014 format we don't have a chance like why don't we just we'd rather just be put in a situation where you could potentially get the first overall pick and you know draft a local kid in Alexi Lafreniere um, you know the fact that, that they beat Pittsburgh and, and took themselves out of the running for that um, the value that, that they're getting right now with the, the young guys playing in these types of situations and, and just the uh, perhaps a, a renewed reminder to um, management and, and the organization there that, that, you know, maybe this team isn't as far off as, as some may have thought uh, back in, in February and, and early March. I think that far outweighs, you know, what would have been uh, a coin flip or, well, not even a coin flip, a one in eight shot at, at somebody like, uh, like Lafreniere. You know, this is a team that, you know, certainly not out of it here yet against Philadelphia. Delta, significant blow, no question, with Brendan Gallagher gone for the series with a fractured jaw. But, um, you know, this is a team that I think has, has shown uh, a lot more metal and a lot more jam than, than I think a lot of people thought they had this year. And so going forward, um, as I said, I think that's, that's, that's the, the real win here as, as this team tries to get back on, onto a, a type of, of track and, and trajectory where they're consistently making the playoffs instead of uh, you know, what had been a stretch of, of missing it three out of the past four years before this one. Kyle, last question for me. Speaking of the game you're covering right now, and you mentioned Brendan Gallagher with the broken jaw is not going to play for the Canadians in Game 6 or in Game 7 if necessary. Why isn't Matt Niskanen thrown out of the bubble? Uh, It's a dirty play. He's a repeat offender. You remember what he did to Sidney Crosby a couple years ago? You can't use your stick as a weapon. I'm wondering why... He didn't get more than one game. If we talk about player safety, this is the exact thing. I think if you're the league, you need to make examples of these players who cross that line. And as far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't come back until Gallagher comes back. If that's the way you want to do it. Now, Gallagher is a hockey player, and who knows when he does come back. Sometimes they come back quicker than you anticipate. But I'm, I'm just dumbfounded by this. Can you speak to why maybe he only got one game? And... Do you agree with him just getting one game? I thought, you know, when because he had his hearing, I was told at, at 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, he had the hearing, and then, of course, the ruling came out a little later on in the evening. But in between there, right, we found out that it was confirmed a fractured jaw. Gallagher was going to need surgery. He's leaving the bubble. He's done for the series. So when I saw that initially, before that all came out, um, I thought a game because it's playoffs uh, and all of those other factors. But once the news came out that Gallagher was done for the series, uh, I thought it should have been bumped to, to two. So I, I think they, they missed the mark there for, for all those reasons um, that you laid out there, Greg. I mean, it's just I, maybe the one thing that he had going for him is that, you know, the, the cross check was not in an upwards motion. It was it was down and Gallagher was crouched a bit. But I mean, you know, you guys watch the play. You can tell what the. Um, what led him to that, right? Like he took a bump from Gallagher in the corner and he turned around and, and he was seeing red and, you know, the game was essentially over at, at that point. Montreal was up and uh, and he was going to get himself even, right? I mean, um, you know, no surprise that, you know, when speaking to the media yesterday, Elaine V 
defend how to defend his his player. I mean, that's that's what the coach of 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 that team is is going to do, and I didn't have a problem with that. But you know, suggesting it was it was a hockey play, it didn't didn't that's seem like one to me. It was it was a guy who was mad at the end of the. At the end of a game, who was who's looking to get even, and the consequence is 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 far yeah. severe, far more severe than than just a mix up. And um, you know, it's it's funny, like like you see that kind of stuff all the time, though, where you guys get their sticks up in in a scrum and more, and then nothing really comes of it. And I guess this one just just caught Gallagher in, in the right spot and and did some some serious damage. So now you've got a guy that's that's forced to to drink from a straw, who's been called the the heartbeat of of the Canadians. And uh, he's not going to be able to play for the rest of this series. And uh, the offender is is just missing a game. And uh, if if his team finishes the job here tonight, then he will be good and, and ready to go for for the next. So uh, I'm with you. To me, I, I think the the league missed uh, missed the mark on on this one and and made the punishment a little too light, especially once we learn just the severity of of what uh, Gallagher's injury is here going forward and yeah. the uncertainty and and how long he could be out for. It's it's bush league. And I'll tell you this, knowing some people from Pittsburgh that had Matt Niskin in there, never did that in Pittsburgh. He leaves after Pittsburgh, didn't Washington, does it now. Uh, it's, I don't want to say almost like a fake tough guy, but all of a sudden, you know, that stick is, is used handy with Matt Niskin. And I, I'm it's just really interesting how that dynamic has all changed and how he's become a guy that, as I said before, it's a repeat offender. And he has injured a couple of players. And this Gallagher thing, to me, I mean, that's just that changes the complexion in some ways of that series. I know Gallagher has struggled, but he's the heart and soul of that team. And uh, let's see if Montreal can can maybe use that as motivation. That's a tough blow, literally and figuratively. Kyle, great job as always, buddy. I appreciate it. I know Dave does as well. Uh, stay safe up there. And uh, maybe we'll check in with you uh, in the next round and, and we'll kind of get your take on the lightning and, and everything else. Thanks, Kyle. So, sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. And I just wanted to say all, all the best to, to Rick Peckham in, in his retirement. A hell of a career for him. I only met him a handful of times just around the rink, but yeah. uh, utmost respect for him and, and congratulations. And it was really neat to see the, the way he went out and calling a, a series winner in overtime as, as his no last doubt. call. Absolutely. Great stuff. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that is Kyle Bukowskis from Sportsnet, and we enjoy him talking about hockey with us. We may talk about Niskin in a bit more and maybe go around the National Hockey League. What happened last night? A couple of teams eliminated, so we get uh, an idea of what the playoffs are going to look like. It's a little more clear moving forward, and we'll talk about that a bit more with Dave. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Versnick is producing. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. All right, so glad you're with us. Thank you to Kyle Bukoskis, who joined us there from Sportsnet. Dave Michigan, Greg Linnelli with you. And Dave, I want to get into a couple of topics here to end the show and get us set for the weekend. And again, we don't know who Tampa Bay is going to play or when they will play, but keep it tuned to Lightning Power Play for your most complete Lightning coverage, and we'll have you there the rest of the way. I asked the question because I think we're both impressed with what Barry Trotz does as a head coach, the way he gets the Islanders to play. I think when you take a look at the Islanders from top to bottom, their roster isn't as dynamic as some of the other teams remaining in the playoffs, but they play with structure, they play with discipline, they're getting solid goaltending, and as a result, they have defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals in back-to-back years, and that's pretty impressive when, you know, maybe their best player is Matthew Barzell, and then after that, a bunch of guys who put on their skates and go to work and, and are good players, but not great. And I asked the question... Which team remaining do you think makes you a bit more uncomfortable if the Lightning had to play them than, say, some of the other teams? And it's probably a compliment to the Islanders, but I think it's a team that if Tampa Bay had to get matched up with them at some point, I think it would almost be like Columbus on steroids. Because I think the Islanders are a team that would just... You know, they get a one-goal lead, Dave. I mean, you, even a team like Tampa Bay, you're probably thinking, is that too much to come back from because the way they play compared to maybe what we're seeing in some of the other series where it's more, 
let's push play, let's impose our will on you, and that's how we're going to win games. Do you do you buy any of that? And and do you buy maybe the Islanders being a team that, you know, matched up against the Lightning? That makes you feel a little more uncomfortable than say, the Flyers or somebody else or Boston. Well, if fans would have put on their John Cooper hat, there's no matchup that should make you feel comfortable. Yes. And at this point, any team that has made it to the second round of the playoffs is going to be a tough matchup. Now, they they may not all play the exact same way. There are different challenges in facing different teams, and the Islanders certainly look a lot different in terms of how they play than, say, Colorado, which we just talked about in terms of the makeup of their roster and 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 how they go about their business to win games. But there there are going to be no easy matchups moving forward. So what that means is that from the Lightning's side, the Lightning have to play really really well and they have to execute at an extremely high level and as we talked about coming out of the Columbus series, I think for the most part the Lightning did that in the Columbus series, which is a good sign. They did not have a good game five, and they had some puck management turnover issues in games four and five. But I think for the series as a whole, the Lightning did a lot of really good things, certainly more good things than not good things that they can build upon as they get ready for round two. And they won't see the Islanders in round two. The Lightning will either play Boston or Montreal, depending on what happens with the Philly-Montreal series. But since you asked the question, I will say this. The Lightning did face a Columbus team that under normal circumstances, and I do think Columbus pressed the attack more than they had earlier in the series in games four and five, which brought them more puck possession, but maybe it also gave the Lightning more room to score goals because the Lightning did have more room as the series progressed in terms of how Columbus defended. The Islanders are, are much the same way. And I, you know what? I would add Beauvillier now. I mean, Beauvillier is not a game-breaker like Barzell, but he's he's evolving into a really strong offensive player. I think he has five or six goals now in the playoffs. And then, you know, Andrews Lee has been a 40-goal guy yeah. under a previous Islanders regime that was more focused on offense than defense. But he can still score. And Brock Nelson always plays well against the Lightning. And they have that great fourth line, although Clutterbuck is hurt right now with Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Matt Martin. Ryan Pollock maybe has the hardest shot or one of the hardest shots in the NHL. And we've seen that in this playoff run for the Islanders, how much damage he can inflict when he unloads sure. that bomb from the point. So they are they are a capable team of scoring. It's not like they just sit back all the time <laughs> And, and wait for counter chances. But I think if the Lightning get a team like the Islanders, and I would put the Flyers in the same boat based on how the Flyers are playing right now, and certainly Boston is very structured, even though mm-hmm. their makeup is different than the Islanders, the Lightning know they're going to have to match the other team's attention to detail and tight structure, which, again, I think they did for a good part of the series against Columbus. Is that going to be a harder matchup than let's say, let's say the Lightning do get to the Stanley Cup final and have to play Colorado, which has incredible depth in terms of its weapons and can just overwhelm you with their speed and skill. And they've got size too. That's a different nut to crack. But the Lightning have shown like they played a really entertaining game in Denver. Right. Shortly before the pause, that was the game the Lightning won in overtime where Kucherov scored. And that was a very evenly played game. And the Lightning have shown that, you know, they can play against teams like that too. So I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, and I know this is boring <laughs> to say, but it really comes down to how you are executing. And the other team is going to try and do what it wants to do. But you also have to make sure that you do what you do well, because if you execute at a high level, it's going to make life more difficult for the other team, whether that team is more focused on structure and team defense or pressing play and and playing defense basically by having the puck and, and playing in your end, which is what we saw from the Lightning in game three 
of the Columbus series. So, you know, as usual, I didn't really answer your question, except to say that at this point, the Lightning are going to get a really good team, whether it's Boston or Montreal. And if Montreal advances, they will they will be battle tested. They will be a tough opponent based on how they are handling this playoff run so far. And that'll be the Lightning's next round opponent. And it's going to be a tough series, no matter who they get. I want to get your thoughts on Matt Niskanen before we sign off. Um, you break a player's jaw who's out for the series. This happens to be probably next to Carey Price and Shea Weber, heart and soul of the team, and Brendan Gallagher. Phil Esposito has talked about this before, just the pushing and shoving after the whistle is blown and how the league needs to do something about that. I also think the league needs to do something about sticks that are used as weapons. Matt Niskanen has a history of this. And I think if you want to change the behavior and the culture of the players, Dave, you've got to do more than one game. You break a guy's jaw and he's out for this series. You know, I don't know if you do a, a suspension where that player who committed the infraction doesn't come back until the player's ready to go. Maybe you think twice about it. Maybe it's a major fine. What I do know is uh, it's one of those things where you know it's either good or bad when you see it, if it feels right. This doesn't feel right. I'm surprised it's only one game. It's a dirty play. And I'm curious what your your thought is on Niskanen breaking Gallagher's jaw and Gallagher really out for the series. You know, the Department of Player Safety, when they look at these plays, they have a few metrics that they take into account. And I'll give you four. They probably have more, but these are the four that come to mind. One is past history, and that's that's a mark against Niskanen because he had the play against Sidney Crosby that you mentioned in the playoffs. Two is intent. So sometimes a guy gets hurt when the offending player did something that normally doesn't really cause injury, but it was a bad outcome. It was an unlucky outcome based on the intent of the player doing the damage. You know what I'm saying? So they do look at intent. Was their intent to injure? Was it just a hockey play that resulted in an injury? And that factors in. The third is the injury. How bad is the injury? Because sometimes you can have vicious intent, but if the player who is on the receiving end of that intent is okay, that can mitigate the severity of the suspension. And they've said that. So sometimes a really dirty play looks dirty, is dirty, but the guy who was on the receiving end is okay, that will often result in, in no supplemental discipline or, or less supplemental discipline. And then the fourth part is the playoffs because the playoffs are different than the regular season. So I think that they, they adopt a sliding scale, right? So like 10 games in the regular season might be three games in the playoffs because three games missed in a, in a playoff series is really significant. So I, I am with you on this. I, I think it probably warranted more than one game because if you go down the list, he is a repeat offender. There was intent. He was, he was angry you know, when he did it. I think that's clear that it was a vicious play. Gallagher is hurt, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so the last component is playoffs. So if this happened in the regular season – he would have clearly gotten more than one game, but they had to ad adjust it for the playoffs. And I understand what you're saying, like however long Gallagher is out, Niskanen should be out. Well, we don't know. One of these players is going to be out of the playoffs as soon as tonight and certainly by the weekend because one of these teams is going to be eliminated. So I don't know. I don't know if that would work in this case. Like you say, well, Gallagher is a broken jaw. That's typically – three weeks or whatever well Gallagher maybe comes back in in a week you know with a shield if he's if he's able to and so I don't know that you can you can tie that to the 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 suspension 
because every player is different in terms of when they come back. But I, I think this. Gallagher is out for the series, which means Niskanen should be out for the series. So I would say minimum two. And that's because there could be a game seven in the series. And if the Flyers win game six, then Niskanen has to sit out the first game in the next series, which, you know, you can lose game one and still come back and win a series. It's not it's not like you're taking Niskanen out for eight games in the playoffs, let's say, which would be the rest of this series and most of the next. So I would have said a minimum two to at least even the playing field for the rest of this series, however long it goes. And and that would be on the low end for me. But I'm not on the Department of Player Safety. Yeah. So they clearly had their reasons for making it one. But my understanding was those four metrics kind of go into the go into the cake as far as how they make a determination. And there may be more. But like I said, the playoffs is the one mitigating factor here. The other three, Niskanen has a mark against him because the player was hurt, it was a vicious hit, and he has a prior history. Yep. And, um, you know, it's a shame people wait until they find out how badly hurt the player is who received the cross-check in this instance to come down and maybe give the penalty. Stick to the face, regardless of the guy misses time or not. I think it needs to be more than one game. I think the NHL erred in that, and I think it's something they need to work on, but we're not perfect. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us, Dave, uh, for this week. A lot of uh, fun stuff that happened. Of course, Tampa Bay advances. If you want to react to anything we had to say, you can. At Greg Linelli or at Dave Mishkin. And uh, Dave, we'll do it again on Monday, and hopefully we have an idea of what's going on and uh, where we are with uh, Tampa Bay. Have a great weekend, Greg. Thanks. All right. Dave Michigan there. Steve Versnick producing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again on Monday for another edition of Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.